Comrades, it's episode 265 of This Machine Kills, your premium episode for this week. I'm Jathan, joined by Ed and producer Jeremy, as always. And to start things off, I- I'm I- I'm glad the I'm glad the lag is catching up now, Ed, because um, I know we we talked like at the very beginning of the year, fucking you know six months ago, when you got this fellowship, you were like. Man, I got so many plans. I'm going to be writing this and this. I'm going to be doing that. I'm going to be pitching over here. And I was like, ooh, rubbing my hands together like Birdman. You know? <laughs> Being like, hmm, mm-hmm, can't wait, can't wait. But of course, there's always a major lag in like the pitching, writing, and the final publication of things. And so it felt like I was waiting for a while. I was like, what's that doing? Ed just, I mean, hey, if you're taking that fellowship just to kick back and relax, like, that's right. fine, too. That's all right. I'm anti-work just as much as anybody. Um, but now, now I feel like the lag is caught up and it's just a deluge of, of, of stuff coming out. I mean, the nation columns, you know, we talked about that in the last uh, premium episode. So we won't, we won't go super in deep, but those keep rolling out. Um, but the thing that really got me was you know I, I saw your your latest nation column come out on you know eugenics and silicon valley and i was like um and and i had uh i i, I was like sitting on the couch and my my partner came in and she was like oh did you see ed's new new piece um come out and i was like oh yeah yeah and the nation one is really fucking good and she was like no I, th- I think he got something in logics and i said huh <laughs> and i had to pull up your twitter feed and look to be like what are you talking about and then see you post a picture of the print edition of the logic of, of logics which i've had that issue in my email um and i hadn't even cracked it open to look at the table of contents yet because i've just been so busy so i had no idea that you had a uh not just a piece but a sci-fi story in there and so that was a a real pleasant surprise to crack that open and read it immediately and uh um, get a glimpse into the fucking uh, cosmic horror um that you you (laughs) wrote in this story i was not expecting that but uh nah congratulations very happy to see not only some um columns some reporting but some science fiction finally come out fucking renaissance man over here Yeah, no, I've wanted to do sci-fi for so long. I really, um, you know, sci-fi was my introduction to fiction. Um, you know, when I was, um, when I was a precocious little kid, my, um, my, my, and this is my dad's fault. He would like, you know, 
make us read up, you know, do reading lessons and tutoring, all that shit, whatever. But you run out of stuff in the house, and then he's then you would just drop us off at the library. And the first, and I think I've talked a little bit how the first stuff I found at the library was like the reactionary sci-fi. But I was like, I don't know how I feel about this. But the world building is cool, and 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 trying to hunt down who were the influences for that one. And uh, this has been, this is like uh. I have had the sci-fi idea in mind for a long time, but this story in particular came out of like a really great nourishing also and feedback that came from the editors over at Logic, specific, at, you know, Michael Falco specifically, who was like really um, helpful in like being like, well, you know, flesh out this seed of an idea that you have that was like a, that had just been like a kind of a, a footnote in the notes for the timeline for the universe I want to build. Mm-hmm. you know uh and it came out really nicely i was really happy with it you know i was worried that it would um be way too fucking weird <laughs> it is fucking weird i, I will uh I, I i was not uh i was not ready um for where for where it went but uh yeah i don't want to spoil it because it is imminently spoilable but uh um, it's it's some really fucking good like Lovecraftian cosmic horror type shit, um, and and I you know I I knew I know you like the you know the the big space operas and space westerns and shit like that, but um yeah that's what I was more expecting I think when I started <laughs> reading the pieces right. some like you know like a space adventure type story, but uh, I wasn't expecting the 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 turn towards cosmic horror so um. Yeah, that'll take that'll take a while. All my sci-fi stories are going to be in one universe, and I want to use like the first handful of short stories to kind of establish with vignettes. The next one I want to do that I'm working on um, follow is like going to be on Earth, um, closer to the or- to the origin of the calendar that I established in the f- in the story, and it follows like this post-apocalyptic society that has a ritual where they kind of like you know uh, drown you and then separate your consciousness into uh animals and and fish in the air and the sea and you have and you can only come back into the society when you when you uh bring them all back together in one way or another um and 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 after doing that stumbling upon a creature that's kind of connected to what happens in the first story 10,000 years later. So I want to I want to build I want to slowly weave it all so that when I finally start writing the books all the lore is already there and I don't have to spend too much time doing the lore building. There you go. There you go. I mean, <laughs> I I know you read and reread uh Last and First Men um mm-hmm. constantly and I, I I know this story came out of uh <laughs> some Last and First Men type joint but you yeah. know that book came out in in uh, 1930 so yeah. you know we're coming up on the 100th year anniversary of it so I think it's time for you to to take the torch yeah. uh, and, br- and 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 yeah. bring it you know bring it into to new light go somewhere different with the the kind of concept of this you know grand timeline grand scale universe you know change and evolution and strangeness and weirdness and horror like mm, i love it i love it um i i I like the idea too of like uh writing vignettes in a in, in the same universe but the universe itself is you know 
thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions, billions of years old, you know, in terms of the timeline. So you can really, truly just have it all be in the same universe, but not have to be constrained by it being in the same universe, like, you know, decades apart or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want this. This is like, broadly speaking, I want my sci-fi series. I'm like, really, I've always been really fascinated with like, the transhumanists and their attempts to build gods. So I want, you know, the first arc, the first act of the sci-fi series is going to cover the birth of a god, of like a dig of an AI god or an attempt to build an AI god, but that it's going to be that that thing that they make is going to be the villain for the rest of the series. And it's going to, reshape reality and structure new laws and uh, physical laws and physical reality and and become just like a force that everyone has to reckon with and providing order but like a very suffocating type of order as opposed to like the the harmonious order that i think a lot of the transhumanists think we'll get if we just like let a computer run society right <laughs> if we just let an algorithm run everything hell yeah Hell yeah. I uh, I'm 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 stoked for it, man. You just uh you just keep that momentum going, keep writing and you know uh, I I'm loving it. The more the more you write, the better it gets. You yeah. know? That's that's yeah. what the, that's that's I truly you know, I I truly think that. Um Thank you, Thank you, you know. But uh yeah, and, and, and so I hell yeah. Be be writing columns by day, vignettes by night. <laughs> right <laughs> shit posting uh in between that's right that's right that's the glue that <laughs> yeah. binds it all together <laughs> mm -hmm. that is the glue oh man speaking of uh of, of of shit posting as the glue that is the glue of tmk and um you know dear listeners i i have to admit uh that this this you know the a lot of times the big stories that we have um, for this, uh, for, for TMK come from, you know, just spending time on Twitter, <laughs> you know, <laughs> scrolling, procrastinating, shit posting, seeing what people are talking about, finding weird little things in some corner, uh, of, that people are posting about and dig it up and bring it to the surface. Um, you know, that, that's, that's the glue that binds TMK. And I, I have to admit uh, I've not been doing a lot of shit posting the last few weeks. Um, I've been, you know, really head down on some uh, on on a journal article, uh, an InsureTech paper that I've been working on, and and um, really kind of speeding towards the finish line of uh, of drafting, trying to have a finished draft of it by the end of uh, um, of this month, June. You know, so probably by the time this episode comes out um, in a few days. Um, should be getting damn close, but uh, it's, I mean, it's some really interesting stuff. But it's uh, yeah, it's been keeping me real, keeping me busy for sure. So I, I have to admit, I think this episode's, you know, we're gonna have a good episode. It's gonna be a little, a little looser, a little, a little mm -hmm. bit more of a smorgasbord of a moose bushes, little, little, little delights, um, rather little than treats. a big, uh, juicy, uh, main course. Yeah, which I think is good. You know, um. It'll, there's, it's been a relatively slow week. It has. You know, tech-wise. But there's always there's always something stupid happening in the fucking valley, isn't there, folks? I mean, the big build-up to uh, <laughs> um, uh, Zuckerberg and, and, and Elon having a cage fight 
Um, really, really disappointing me that 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 that's gone nowhere. That I what saw do you mean? a screenshot. I saw a screenshot. I don't know if it's true, but I saw a screenshot that uh, Elon Musk pulled out because his mom begged him to. Oh my fucking god! <laughs> Are you kidding me? So Are I saw an article that, that that was the headline. So I don't know how true it is, what? but that's that's the headline I saw getting passed around like um, earlier shit I've today. Ever heard. Are you fucking uh, kidding me? <laughs> and you know Elon's a mama's boy, so I would believe it. Well, you, you know, if, 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 if anybody's ever spent any time on a playground knows that if your mom comes, comes and interrupts a potential fist fight you're about to have with another person, you're never going to hear the end of it no. the rest of your life. No. There are going to be people 30 years later. Hey, you remember that time in sixth grade we were going to fight, but then your mom came and pulled your ear and dragged you away? Yeah, we still remember that shit. Wow. More like, so uh, I don't know if people are familiar with Elon's mom, but she's a real fucking piece of work herself, too. But she spends a lot of time on Twitter defending Elon. Like, uh, she really? Like, yeah, she like name searches. Like, she's got a big Twitter account. Um, and she like name searches for people talking shit about Musk and will jump into the mentions and like defend him and stuff. So she's not the like, pull your ear away like what are you doing she's the like like yo elon's gonna jump into a fist fight with mark zuckerberg and she's like throwing herself between uh uh elon and zuckerberg's haymaker it'd be like i'll defend elon myself you wow. know <laughs> like she's the one jumping wow. in the cage fight on his she, on his behalf <laughs> yeah who needs stands when your mom name searches for you what yeah. the fuck Wow. It's real psycho behavior, like uh, the, 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 their relationship there where, yeah, I feel like Elon's a real mama's boy, but it's also kind of flip side where like uh, his mom's a real like, like, I don't know what the term would be, like a, a son's a, a son's mama <laughs> or something, you know, <laughs> like she loves her little boy, um, but like her little boy is a, is a fucking like evil billionaire. So, yeah. <laughs> he's one of, he's not a good guy. He's one of the worst people we have. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. So, so that's, that's what I saw. So we ain't, we ain't, we ain't going to get that cage match because Elon's mama um would like throw herself on 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 the on the on the casket <laughs> yeah maybe be like bury me her, with him maybe bury she me and with zuck him. moms maybe like she can fight with zuck's mom <laughs> battle the moms i love it yeah <laughs> you know maybe we can see what happens what do you guys there. got on that one then Oh, I don't need, I don't know a goddamn thing about Zuck's parents. I'm going to be real with you. Which is I mean, why I would put all my money on Elon's mom cuz she's all, she she's the she's the mad woman out here like throwing hands in the in the the the, the columns the Coliseum of posting. So His mom mm. is a psychiatrist. It seems about right. That that dude's programmed. <laughs> I did. I am disappointed though, because I, I I did see the. Did you see the like like the thing Fox News had about about the about the bout? They had like the like the character sheets pulled up. You know, kind of comparing them like they were actually going to box. You know, like their weight class and their height and age and stuff like that. But oh it, also, it had height, weight, age, and IQ were the before. Oh yeah! <laughs> <laughs> um, stepping stepping into the match with an IQ of one fifty six. 
<laughs> when he's not on methamphetamines, Mark Zuckerberg! Jimmy's going to hate you for that. <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm dialing all that back, man. I'm dialing all that back. Yeah, it's so good, though. Like, uh, one, I mean, the Fox News, uh, um, God, I don't even know what to call it, but they call, they said MMA Legends Handicap Musk vs. Zuck Battle Royale was the name of, the, which also makes no sense as yeah. like a as like a cry on for it. No. Um, but uh, it, it had, it had uh, Elon Musk's weight at uh, 187, six foot one, 187. And the, <laughs> the, the guy who posted that screenshot dead on said, uh, of all the lies Fox News has ever told, Elon Musk weighs 187 is the boldest one yet. <laughs> <laughs> so that that and and listing the fucking IQs, which then the 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 like the asterisk is that the um the the height and weight estimates came from the Guardian, but they misspelled Guardian. <laughs> and, oh then, uh, <laughs> and then the iq estimates came from some site called sociosite so truly just pulling up oh, a, like yeah, a wordpress yeah. blog oh uh, <laughs> yes i'm obsessed oh, so good it was on the laura ingram show too the the ingram angle is what it's called um well, oh, i'm just so disappointed the skulls of our favorite billionaires <laughs> I am so disappointed that we don't get that cage match. Yeah, me fucking too. So that I mean that that just would have been fodder for us. I'm I am going to Vegas again this year for the uh uh InsureTech conference again. Which is fucking well. I mean, I'm gonna dox myself. So if there's any intrepid listeners who really wanna come find me, then you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll fucking I'll meet you outside on the strip. Uh, <laughs> but this fucking InsureTech conference starts the first day of it is Halloween. And like, oh, yeah. why? Why the fuck <laughs> would you schedule a like a, a insurance technology That's- conference? in vegas on halloween i do Probably love how demented the craziest is. day in yeah. vegas every year is gonna it's halloween so i i will be there i'm, I'm kind uh, of obsessed i love that okay if it wasn't halloween man i'd be like you know vegas round two let's fucking go bro we because it's halloween you should come for vegas <laughs> round two <laughs> yeah honestly how many yeah how many chances will i get to go to vegas on halloween <laughs> <laughs> you're right it's gonna i can't imagine it's gonna be fucking insane but um but i was really looking forward to also going in for the the cage match you know like you know they scheduled that's that, when it was supposed that, to happen well i don't know if that's when it was supposed to happen but it also it makes sense as a time period that it would happen around you know a, a, give it a couple months for organizing it and you know you know um Oh, yeah wouldn't that be amazing how happy would you be to watch that in vegas you do your insurance tech ethnographies in the morning you see two of your favorite billionaires cave each other's skulls in in the evening man that's that was the dream that marx was talking about when he was talking about you know the (laughs) the the communist day (laughs) yeah yeah you fish in the morning and you make the rich eat each other in the evening (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. <laughs> well, we got to be careful. We're going to have some hysterical VCs talking about, this is the wasteland the left wants. 
They they yes. want us to literally eat ourselves. <laughs> they yes. want us to eat each other. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I really do. They're, they're going to put us in the Terror Dome from Mad Max. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be in a guard tower making sure they stay in the Terror Dome. <laughs> Just going to make them listen to one of the living on loop for the rest of their life. <laughs> That's right. And before before people get up, you know, stop writing your letter to us. I know it's the Thunderdome, right? <laughs> but and Terradome is public enemy. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> In my world, it is the Terradome. <laughs> it will always be the Terradome. Yeah, so so it has been it has been a slow news week, right? Because all all the excitement keeps getting deflated. But I will say, mentioning InsureTech, mentioning this article, I, I've been heads down in. I will put a call out. I don't talk a ton about about my InsureTech work. You know, when it comes up here and there, um, but I don't talk a ton actively about what I'm like working on because it's terrifying. I mean, there is that, a hundred percent. But I am very actively working on it and doing a lot of writing, a lot of ethnography, talking to uh, tons of people. I'm getting deep. I'm getting deep into the industry uh, in in a lot of great ways. But I will put a call out um, that I, I'm currently writing a, a paper, finishing a paper um, with some other ones to come, looking at a, a behavioral insurance. Right, so. You know, it's a lot of stuff that we have talked about because a lot of it is so like tech driven. But, you know, there there's actually a really, really fucking good, just such a beautiful coincidence that came out at the same time that I was in the midst of this paper. But um, Data and Society, Tamara Knopper and Eve Zellickson um, from Data and Society came out with a great report on wellness capitalism, employee health, the benefits maze and worker control. Um, in fact, I want to get them on to talk about it because that is exactly um, what my the paper I'm writing about. Uh, I'm writing is about uh, is this you know broadly behavioral insurance. So the kind of stuff we have talked about before around like um, using a combination of like digital technologies um, and behavioral economics uh, to like. Ch- try to do interventions to change people's behavior both like monitor and track people's behavior so you can use that behavioral data for a variety of purposes whether it's for marketing and branding or in some ideal world although as i talk about in my research it's like an actual fact not happening to the degree that people speculated is but you know in some ideal world you can use that behavioral data um for like you know premium price like dynamic premium pricing and personalization and stuff like that um but like behavioral data collected from you know the the two big areas is one you know uh, automotive insurance so vehicular telematics so the kind of stuff that um uh you know you get like a uh a, a, the a black box uh device installed in your car and it monitors like where when and how you drive um, and then, you know, that information is used by the insurer um, for a variety of purposes or in the case of like fleet 
insurance and and these technologies which was which is where a lot of this is most advanced is for like um trucking like truck driving or like delivery drivers um the kind of like you know these uh, the logistics fleets and the fleet insurance where that uh telematics information is then used um not only by the insurer to do like you know risk assessments pricing you know claims adjustment whatever but also um by employers uh, to you know, monitor and punish workers um, for a variety of reasons, or blame them when things go wrong, or you know uh, they don't meet their KPIs or whatever. Um, like so that that you know, there's a lot of that happening. The the paper I'm writing about um, though right now is uh, is the other big area where behavior insurance happens, which is um, uh, health and life insurance. So here, this is like the, you know, in the US, it would be like the corporate wellness programs. So the kind of things where it's like, you have a, fit, a Fitbit or an Apple Watch, um, and it's like collecting, you know, uh, exercise, you know, fitness data from you, right? And you're like sharing your exercise data with uh, the insurer or the health benefits plan um, or the corporate wellness program managers. You're um, you're you're inputting like your your food, you know, your eating habits into an app. Um, you're doing a number of other things. You're going and getting health assessments um, and things like that, checkups, right? All this stuff that's like creating a massive amount of data about people's health. Um, and specifically, though, trying to create lots of data about people's like um, behaviors and lifestyles, right? And then use that data again in some in an ideal world, use it to like you know do m risk mitigation, you know, like actively intervene and change people's behaviors to make them healthier, which means you know make them less risky, make them more profitable, um, things like that. Uh, um, or, or dynamically pricing people's premiums according to their their health and their habits and their lifestyles and behaviors. Um, again, I will say there's actually not a lot going. Especially, there's much more of that going on in the vehicular um, telematics area, although still a lot less than one would than one would think. Um, it's more ambitious than actuality at this point. There's even less of that going on in health and life insurance. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's not used in other nefarious ways, right? It may not be, the data may not be used to like, you know, actively go in and like, you know, control people's behaviors, right? Because as we know from our good friend, Corey Doctorow, um, none of these tech, none of these tech companies, whether it's uh, Google uh, or Apple or an insurance company using tech, none of them have the mind control ray um, that they claim to or that Zuboff uh, and others claim that they have. However, that doesn't mean that they're not using this stuff for other purposes, right? You know, they are using it uh, in the corporate wellness setting. Um, you know, it is used as a form of like worker discipline and control and punishment. Um, you know, in the insurance setting, it is used uh, as a way of uh, segmenting and segregating the market, right? And so you can do things like saddle people with these technologies um, if they're like subprime drivers, for example. Um, uh, you know, and so they can't get like a traditional auto insurance plan from from a a, a, a traditional carrier. So they have to get one of these ones that like monitors and 
uh, inter uh, you know, monitors how they drive and creates all these like scores and, you know, has all this moralistic language about like creating better drivers and better citizens and more mindful uh, driver, you know, all that kind of bullshit, right? So it is used in that way to like segment and segregate the market um, between like, you know, uh, prime and subprime uh, insurance risk um, uh, or in the health and life insurance area, it's actually more often used in the opposite way, which is to like target people who already uh, exercise, eat good, you know, have healthy lifestyles and then target those people for your program because they'll get some benefits, you know, they'll, they'll accrue some points, you know, they'll get free movie tickets or free flights or subsidized uh, Apple watches or whatever, right? For like doing things that for the most part they are already doing, but it's a, it's a marketing technique for the insurer to um, capture the top end of the market, people who already have good life, good behavioral, um, healthy lifestyles. Um, or in the, uh, 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 it does have a bit more coercive feature to it in the U.S. than other markets where these things operate because the U.S. is so beautiful in that regard, um, uh, where the, the U.S. primes itself for uh, coercion because of its um, unique uh, labor uh, and uh, boss relationships, where um, especially in health insurance, where insurance comes from employers, right? And so, like, um, so what they can do is they they can't you know they can't penalize you for not engaging in the corporate wellness program. Um, so it can't be framed or or uh, you know as a penalty in the policy, but they can give you discounts for engaging in the corporate wellness program. And because the price of insurance is so high, oftentimes the discounts is the uh, uh, the difference between being able to afford your insurance premium for you and your family versus not being able to afford your insurance premium. And so it's more of like a soft coercion, right? Nobody's making you engage in the corporate wellness program and thus give over tons of data and information uh, to yourself, uh, about yourself, to your uh, insurer and employer, and thus also give over lots of opportunities for the employer to manage and control your lifestyles inside and outside of the job. Um, it, you know, it's not, it, it, it's not a requirement to do that uh, in any hard sense, but it becomes a soft requirement because if you don't do it, the cost of not doing it is is too high, um, you know. And, and so that that's the kind of stuff that I'm writing about. That's also the kind of stuff that this uh, great report on wellness capitalism from Dana Society is about. So we'll definitely get them um, on to to talk more because I want to talk about some of these uh, intersections. But I'm specifically in my paper, I'm going even deeper and doing this like. Um, really in-depth case study in the um, the company that's the global leader in these uh, like health and life insurance uh, like behavioral based uh, plans. Um, and it's uh, it's called the Vitality. Um, it's called Vitality, and it's from this. Uh, uh, it was created by the South African insurer slash financial services group called Discovery um, in like the late '90s, and since then. Um, since like uh, um, the mid 2000s, 
they've been rolling it out through major partnerships with insurers uh, uh, around the world to um, become this like global behavioral insurance platform for uh, just imagining like some South African be like, we just want to discover where the Africans are and what they're doing and what. The- I think I think that's the accent. And and how can we make them be more rational with their lifestyles by segregating them into the communities where they belong, not Bantustans. <laughs> uh, I, I will I will correct you a little bit uh, because I feel like you are doing more of like a Swahili um, accent mm. for English. Um, you would be yeah. wrong. the uh, The founder of this company is a white South African um, who has like a <laughs> <Right>. very Afrikaans <laughs> accent, uh, which is a Dutch light uh, yeah, accent. You're right. You're right. You're right. I was doing. I was real. I was leaning. I was leaning partly on my Mandela accent yeah <laughs> and, and uh and the dude's white so i can't so i can't do that as you just pointed we out. should bring uh ed ed zitron back on so just so he can do that for us <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> um i yes. will say though that i i fucking love this when uh when this shit happens and it's like a an extremely white uh south african guy named uh, adrian gore where um <laughs> nothing to see here but i want to just look i want to like read some bits from the uh the recognition um uh, uh section on his wikipedia Again, so Adrian Gore is the founder of uh, um, Discovery Limited. He's the founder and CEO of Discovery Limited, which is one of the, which is a, uh, now has grown to become like a a really large um, uh, insurer, uh, financial services group um, headquartered in South Africa. But through this vitality program, they've become at the the forefront uh, and have created this massive global ecosystem for these kinds of um, health and and life insurance, like wellness programs, tied explicitly tied to like behavioral economics and things like that, um, as a way to like intervene into people's lives uh, using behavioral data and and like a, a kind of a, a you know a Rube Goldberg contraption of like carrots and sticks to uh, try to get people to behave the way you want. Um, but he, his recognition page is really telling. Um, so. In 1998, Gore was recognized as South Africa's best entrepreneur by EY, and in 2004 was chosen as South Africa's leading CEO in the annual MoneyWeb CEO of the Year awards. Um, cool. <laughs> in, in, uh, uh, in 2015, he was included in the Forbes list of Africa's 50 richest. In 2015, mm. uh, Adrian was the recipient recipient of the McKinsey Geneva Forum of Health Award. Also, he inclu- he was included in All Africa Businessman of the Year 2016. Uh, in August 2017, Adrian won the Frost and Sullivan Visionary Innovation Leadership Award for Africa. So, in other words, he keeps winning all of these uh, African innovation and, inno- and entrepreneur awards from like all these consulting companies. And he's a, a white South African. I love having a continent, a, a oh. fucking giant continent of. <laughs> 
of like <laughs> billions of people and uh every year the uh the the most visionary ceo innovator and entrepreneur uh is a is the the white south african f- uh founder of an insurance company <laughs> i don't know Jason. he just he he just has this compelling vision of a return to the past where we are you know, bounding people based on their activity and certain features about them that are legible through the data we collect on them. You know, it just it just reminds me about something in South Africa that I think he's gonna he's gonna make work this time. It's it's no accident that the whole uh, the whole foundation of insurance as an industry is to uh, segment, segregate, and discriminate uh, yeah. uh, within markets. You learn a lot about that in uh, in South Africa before certain political events in the 1980s, <laughs> and so you know, not surprised. I am surprised. Actually, I am a little. Su- I am a little surprised that uh they're just like yeah yeah i mean what do you want from us he's 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 a visionary he's doing segregation but with data so it's okay you know yeah (laughs) at some point if i were him and i kept getting offered all these like all Africa Businessman of the Year awards or something mm-hmm. like that. I'd I'd start turning them down if anything, just because the the optics are uh, really oh, bad and, and, <laughs> and extremely pale. To be yeah. like, oh, once again, I am Africa's best businessman. Uh, just just everyone in the conference being like, who's the white guy? Oh no, guys, I'm Dutch. <laughs> whole thing, whole thing. I'm Africaneer. My family's been here for generations. Is that like a buccaneer for Africa? Yeah, yeah, you gotta say like a buccaneer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my family's been here for generations. <laughs> Two or three at most. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't ask how many. Okay, I, we don't need to get into a dick measuring contest. Just know that we've been working the land and, and yeah. work it for well, us. Wh- but- white South Africans <laughs> definitely can't be getting in dick measuring contests. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh you never know man maybe you know they keep the they keep the good food for themselves <laughs> they keep the they get the nutrients <laughs> oh man <laughs> oh yeah no <laughs> Uh, i, think, I did um, bring all that up for for, yeah, for what, yeah. what was the reason i thought was it so we could riff about south africa i mean the racism? reason was in part to riff about it for sure um the other reason is that uh um one i just know that we, uh we do actually have a lot of uh uh listeners and 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 patreon subscribers who um or work. from south africa oh yeah well i, I maybe <laughs> hey if we do reach out uh especially if you know these people um but uh uh I, I know we do have a lot of people who listen and subscribe who uh work um directly or indirectly uh on these types of behavioral uh insurance or just even these like behavioral data technologies and so um in fact people have reached out to me in the past being like i heard you mention in you know insure tech i'm a i'm a tmk listener um i actually work for an insure tech forum or i've worked on these products in the past um so uh, i do want to throw it out i don't talk about my research much but i am actively writing um, finishing a paper and writing more papers on behavioral insurance right now. 
Um, and so, hey, reach out to me if you uh, um, work on this shit, um, have worked on it, or directly or indirectly. Um, I would, I would, I would love to uh, love to talk to folks. So, I, you know, I think I've, I, I use TMK. I'll use TMK as a bit of a of a, a, a maybe recruitment drive for um for some interviews and stuff like that as well um so yeah reach out to me uh if if anybody works on this or knows anybody who does i'm always interested in talking um to people uh on this stuff especially because like you really just can't learn um anything uh you know real or material or even you know very useful about it without actually uh talking to people working on it because like there's so there's the there's so much you know in terms of like the public information it's like so buttoned down by the marketing um which is like you know especially with these like behavioral based uh, uh insurance technologies the marketing is um sometimes all that there is there is real there's off there's some very often like there's really no there there um to speak of um but often at at the very least the marketing is like uh pushes people very far away from the reality of how these things work um like i was saying before like you know yeah i've I've talked to actuaries who work on these products and they've described them as gimmicks to me you know um like like that's you know and what they mean by that is that it's a marketing gimmick right like like there's really like at this point there's very little like actuarial um uh, tangibility there, you know, actuarial usefulness um, for uh, the data that's collected. It's mostly used for like other reasons, like marketing or maybe uh, claims or just creating these like really convoluted uh, schemes and programs that do other stuff, right? But not really like uh, the kind of underwriting or, or pricing that we think is happening or the 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 behavior mind control that like um <clears throat> you know people claim like you know i was looking back at surveillance capitalism at zuvoff's book and she has a whole section like she does talk about insurance in the book um but it's all it's it's uh pretty much only um automotive insurance and most of it is in a section of the book where she uses these like uh behavioral uh, telematics insurance uh, uh, programs and policies and whatnot um, as an example uh, to you know tie into uh, just to illustrate you know here's another place where surveillance capitalism has taken hold it's taken hold in automotive insurance through these telematics devices and 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 she talks about it as like you know as as she does with everything as like a form of like mind control right like these people are controlling your behavior um they they are uh you know uh they 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 are uh you know do do they're doing surveillance capitalism on you um and they are but it's it's uh it's the the capitalism is actually the important part for what they're doing right but then if you look at like with which i did you look at the the like the sources the footnotes for all of that section it's just a collection of uh, re- like reports from De- uh, Deloitte and McKinsey, um, and like you know articles from the business press, right? Uh, you know, Business Wire or Insider or Bloomberg or whatever, right? Like, in other words, it's all just being like doing a quick Google search for um, you know behavior telematics 
auto insurance and then using the first like you know 10 hits on the first page of the google search and being like that's all that's that's all my sources for um for writing about this uh this topic right and like that's unfortunately a very common way um to talk about these things even amongst the critics like i feel like insurance is largely overlooked what gets more attention when insurance does get attention is the behavioral insurance because it's you know uh it, it's very like obvious that there's something going on here regarding like digital technology data surveillance um but then when it is written about um that's almost always the level that it's written at is like you do a quick google search the top hits are always like a McKinsey report, an Accenture report, and a Deloitte report. You scroll down a little bit further, you see like a Bloomberg article, uh, maybe a, a Wall Street Journal article about this stuff. And you'd be like, aha, I know everything I need to know about um, how terrible this is. And uh, uh, in reality, though, like that, like, you you just getting fooled like everybody is, you know. Um, you're just getting fooled in a different way, where you're saying instead instead of all the people like that stuff is written for people who read it and then say, oh, this is good. Um, and instead, what you're doing is reading it and saying, oh, it's bad actually. Um, but at the end of the day, you're still getting fooled in the same exact way, just because you reach the opposite conclusion. Do you think a lot of, do you think, like, do you feel like it's a harder task to get people to realize this? Yeah, I mean, I think so, in part because, like, because you actually have to, like, be interested enough to know how this stuff actually works or be interested in reading about it as beyond just being, like, a quick example to illustrate some other point you want to make, which is also, like, if if people talk about tech. Um, then they're usually talking about behavioral insurance or now I guess AI, um, which also is filled with all kinds of like hype and uh, bullshit and bubbles and stuff um, about how AI is going to do this, that or the other thing. Um, but usually, you know, so 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 usually if people are talking about insure tech, then usually they're talking about either like the surveillance or the AI aspects of it, which usually means they're actually use they they're just more interested in using it as an example to illustrate some other point that they want to make. So for Zuboff, it's about showing yet another domain where surveillance capitalism and behavioral mind control has taken place. Right? It's not actually interested in studying insurance as a subject of study, as like taking it as an object of that that is worth understanding in its complexity um, uh, uh, and worth uh, investigating on uh, by its own right, rather than one that is just a, a convenient and provocative uh, and, and maybe a little off the wall uh, example for some other point. And so I think it does make it harder to like get people to actually know what's happening because like one, you try to talk to people about insurance and for the most part, like their eyes glaze over and then you have to be like, no, 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 like, hold, like, just give me, just give me like 10 seconds for the elevator pitch as to why you should continue <laughs> listening to me say the word insurance. <laughs> right? um, and so like, I, I feel like there is like a much bigger uh, hill to climb for like, them being like, okay, let's actually get into like empirical and material analysis of like 
of, of how this stuff actually works and what's actually going on. And it's really interesting. And I would argue like sometimes like often more interesting and much more important of a story than the like really simplistic story of like mind control. Um, but it's a story that requires a bit more setup and a bit more buy-in um, than, than that other story. I hear you on that. I feel like it was through your writing I first gained an appreciation for insurance through your real life mag stuff and starting then to like actually be interested in like approaching it as a separate entity or as a disowned process that has sure, like you said, like a lot of points that can be made when we're doing a drive by and we're just trying to get to another argument, but also sit at a lot more interesting of a locus of things that are going on in tech, right? Where I do feel like there are sometimes there are weaknesses in the analytical frameworks of how leftists engage tech, because I feel like there is like a more interest in like figuring out how it relates to capitalism proper, you know, like what would Marx, how would Marx analyze this if he were alive, which is in of itself a useful project, but like we're also losing sight of like, well, you know, like, what is it doing? Like, what is it actually doing? And like, what are, like, what, like, how are those things manifesting on individual levels and on social levels? And how are they being implemented bureaucratically? And how are they being used to maybe invent new forms, if possible, of relation between people or to regenerate older experiments that have failed and have been abandoned, right? Like, I think the, there's a very big desire, very understandable desire to be like, okay, well, like, you know, tech largely comes out of like a very known set of discrete processes and dynamics between markets and states out of geopolitics out of you know uh private interests out of lobbying out of you know desire for augmenting this or that group's power you know you can trace where a lot of technological developments come from and that makes sense and that's all good and well but that thinking then or stepping back and thinking about how like these things might go on to then like restructure create their own little institutions or reaffirm other institutions i feel like is a place where some some of the analysis sometimes hits a wall i mean but then of course there are other frameworks that try to address that right we have like platform capitalism we have like the debate over whether capitalism is feudalism is 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 degenerating back into feudalism largely through this techno feudalism lens right we have like debates that are trying to engage with tech and trying to engage with ways in which tech can mediate and intervene with and regenerate older capitalist processes. But no, I, I, def I definitely do. Like, it makes me think again of like, in this uh, Morozov reference, I keep coming back to this, this argument that he has in the Future Histories podcast where he's talking about how like, you know, leftists are kind of obsessed with figuring out how to allocate raincoats and like all of our debates and discussions around technology are all about like trying to figure out how we can get a market to work in everyone's favor best when like that's not really what needs to be done and and as a result we miss out a lot of more interesting analyses of these systems missing out how insurance is used as part of a form of surveillance and social control but also as a way you know to sustain and maybe discover and explore new forms of relation that might keep capitalism going for a while or you know maybe uh serve as the basis for an even worse system um or worth inquiry on their own but don't get it because we are all really concerned about like well like if we took over everything then like what role would insurance have in um 
creating either a minuscule market or preserving assets and their value and protecting uh, whatever fragment of property rights and you know financial activity we want to ensure and trade and commerce that we want to ensure happens in the society um, and not taking the leap forward into some weird other space uh, that is going to be necessary if you want to compete with um, uh, the fact that capitalists are the ones who have like convincing arguments for and answers for everything, um, mm-hmm. whether or not they actually are real. Yeah, and the, I mean the fact is, is that like some form of, you know, some form of insurance is is extremely uh, necessary and important. Um, but, you know, in, even in a, uh, a a socialist or communist society, uh, we still need uh, insurance, right? Because like. You know, and in fact, a lot of times, I mean, the, the, the irony here as well is that, you know, like we, we have read, uh, you know, like the David Friedman's Machinery of Friedman, right? Uh, Freedom, right? The, like the anarcho capitalist cookbook, um, for like how, an, you know, how, uh, uh an anarcho capitalist, like quote unquote society would be organized. And of course, like for them, it's like private insurance steps in and takes over the role of like, all state entities right so for them it's just like a um in, in a lot of ways it's just a a one-to-one correspondence of like rather than having like states you have uh state like insurance companies right um that do everything and and that is actually a really good recognition on their part that like insurance is as a like a a, a a regime of governance very state-like um in a lot of ways in fact it surpasses the state in a lot of ways in terms of like it's really direct material intimate um relationship and effects that it has on our lives um and so like they like that there's actually good acknowledgement there that like you know if you take the the form of insurance that we have now and crank it up to 11, that becomes the state, you know? Um, and then you don't need a state. But also, I think the, the flip is also, there's an argument there that ultimately what a socialist or communist society is, is to take the form of insurance that we have now and crank it to zero. In other words, like really radically change it, but not dis- not dissolve the concept of insurance but radically change the institutional organization and mechanisms of insurance because what is a socialist or communist state in other words but or a lot of organized forms of insurance right like um you know you look at like a uh, a socialized healthcare system and that's that's insurance right it's a it's a form of uh, community rated um, insurance uh, where you know there isn't like the vast like market segregation or segmentation or discrimination which is necessary for profit but not necessary for pooling risk you know for for giving people a safety net um, that's like what a lot of these like social institutions that leftists want more of want them to be bigger and better than ever before are ultimately ways of saying, why don't we have uh, publicly organized um, and publicly governed forms of insurance that cover everybody, right? For health, uh, for other benefits, you know, um, what, you know, what's this, 
what's disability insurance, but a form of social welfare, you know? Um, what's health insurance, but a form of social welfare, you know, if done in a different way. Um, and so, like, that's also part of it here as well as, like, having to recognize, uh, on one hand, like, what, like, how institutions um, that are organized in very specific ways um, need to be organized differently, but at the core, there is something there that's like, okay, we need we need insurance. Any society is going to need insurance. Now, different societies are going to need less and different kinds of insurance, um, you know, because ideally you have a society such that like, um, you know, the, the, the everyday risk of life uh, does not count, does not lead to uh, life ending uh, results. In other words, you know, um, hey, risk is just a normal part of life. You know, like you could step outside, slip on a step, you know, slip on a uh, on the stairs in a weird way and break your leg. That could happen in uh, any society imaginable. Now, the difference here is what then happens after that risk, after that risk turns into a consequence, after it's manifested, right? What happens after you break your leg? Do you... Uh, not go to the hospital because there's not one near you or you're too afraid to or whatever. And so you just live uh, and, and, and die with a broken leg. Do you go to a hospital, but then you get um, really bad treatment uh, and get saddled with uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt? Um, you know, and, and then that that that's just the, the society that, uh, that is America for most people, right? Um, or do you, uh, and then and then it leads to you like not being able to work, which means you lose your job, which means your family gets evicted, which turns into this whole like domino effect, right? Because like you broke your leg and now like not only you, but your whole family and also your future generations are completely fucked. Um, you know, like that's a, that's a specific way of organizing society and organizing the the insurance in society in terms of like the pooling of risk and the mutual aid of making people whole once something happens to them. Um, or do you live in a society where uh, there's like free, good quality insurance? Um, there's, you know, lots of protections in place that, uh, and that makes sure that, you know, you broke your leg and, but not only are you going to get good treatment, but you're also going to not lose your job and you're also going to get, um, uh, you know, a disability paycheck uh, that helps you make ends meet. You know, that's a different form of society. That's a very socialist, or you know, maybe depending on the the level. That's you know, it's a democratic socialist or a socialist democratic society, right? Depending on to what degree um, those welfare benefits are are cranked and how they're organized. But that's also insurance, right? Like, in other words, like we, we could keep playing this scenario out in different ways. And a lot of them are ultimately questions about like when a risk befalls somebody, um, which it always does, right? Like that's the nature of risk is that it's uncertain. There's a bit of a random um, distribution of these risks, which is why insurance as an industry is able to be profitable because there's this stochastic. In other words, you know, it's 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 a random probability which is able to be analyzed but not precisely uh predicted um and so like but that's just 
going to happen in any society. And so, you know, which means that if you have risk, then you need some way of managing that risk. And that's ultimately what insurance is as a mechanism. Now, the decision is in what way is it organized, for what ends, for whose interest, and and so on. And that gives you specific types of the the institutional form. Um but I, and I mean, I think this is why for me, insurance is such a fascinating area to study is because, yes, I want to absolutely dissolve the existing uh, order of, of insurance. I want to abolish it um, and destroy it. Um, but that's because I think that insurance as a concept um, and insurance as a specific type of institutional form um, is extremely important and necessary to support uh, people's lives to support risky behaviors and activities that we see as socially beneficial and desirable. Um, and, and so in other words, insurance is really, really important. Uh, so important, in fact, that it's, uh, it, it should not be left to the insurance industry um, to decide how insurance is organized. But I think it goes back to your, like, to, to your point about like Morozov, right? Where it's like, I think as leftists, we really get caught up in like the distribution of raincoats without then thinking about like the institutions that distribute the raincoats, you know? Um, and for me, like, um, it, it's funny because the symbol for insurance is the umbrella because it's meant to be a form of protection. Um, and, and so it's not so, so the, to keep the metaphor going, it's not just about the distribution of umbrellas. Um, but about thinking about the institutions that distribute those umbrellas and the forms of those institutions. Um, and in other words, I think it starts getting into much more complex, but much more important um, uh, features around like the kind of work that like Aaron Beninov ha has written about in like his logics uh, or his logic essay on like, uh, you know, how to make a pencil, right? Like, uh, or, or other stuff that he's been writing about around like the sign around like scientific socialism. In other words, thinking about like the institutional forms and organization of a socialist society, not just as like a, a theoretical uh, like thought experiment or as a political demand, but as like a like institutional practice um, that it has to be. It needs to be that to become real. And I think that I think that uh, for me that that's like the that's like the the like the really like normative in, uh, aspect of um, tr me trying to like do like the ruthless criticism of insurance and technology is at some point it has to build towards um, the like the 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 you know the normative like revolution of that of that institution what okay we know all the reasons why this doesn't work in its current form um, but what what how does it need to look in order to work well those are really important really difficult questions that also like uh there's no dangling keys um, that like get us that like uh, attract our attention to those kinds of questions, or rather, the dangling keys um, are the like uh, the things that we were talking about earlier that do draw people's attention, which is like uh, other stuff around surveillance or AI um, or mind control um, or whatever it might be. Right, like those are the dangling keys that then actually distract us from, uh, you know, 
the the shiny the shiny umbrella um, that distracts us from asking the the question of okay, well, like how how is this umbrella built and distributed, and how should we be building and distributing different types of umbrellas? And then what what would the new symbol be for insurance in this new society? You think? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I mean, I think I do like the umbrella. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's, it's a good one. You know, it does work because it is like it's it's meant to be the form. It's meant to symbolize uh, protection, right? Uh, protection and 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 security. Um, but also, I think what's but maybe I don't like the umbrella as much either because it's it does actually lend itself towards. Um, the the way that insurance has increasingly become especially over the last uh century is like increasingly more individualistic um and the umbrella is also very individualistic i have my umbrella uh and too bad yeah. if you don't have yours and so some something you know that that covers you know it, it's it's the world umbrella you know it's the thing that covers everybody no matter what um is what it, it needs to be um, cause also that's a really key part here as well. And this is also why like history, uh, is so important for this because like the way that insurance is organized now around these like, uh, increasingly individualistic and hyper profit oriented ways is not the way the industry was or, uh, organized at the, you know, forever. Like we have had forms of institution or insurance rather, um, for a very, very long time. I mean, we've had institutional forms of insurance for hundreds of years, um, but we have had other forms of insurance-like institutions for even longer. But they, for a long, for for much longer, they have been organized in terms of like uh, around forms of social solidarity. So insurance is a really, uh, you know, the origins of insurance as an institution had baked into it these ideas of like social solidarity so uh, inculcating this this sense that we're all in it together um that like you know uh that that we are bound together under you know within one risk pool not because we uh share some you know abstract at, you know demographic attributes or something but because we all exist together as one society one community um, and and insurance and risk pools are ways of creating and solidifying those bonds of solidarity by being like, uh, Ed, something happens to you. Well, I know the same thing could have happened to me, but it didn't. So you know, hey, we're in this together. What how, you know, we're going to help you because we know that that could have happened to any of us, right? Like uh, any of us could have broken our leg. Any of us could have gotten sick. Whatever, right? And so so it creates this social solidarity and and then through that social solidarity it, it, it creates mechanisms of mutual aid amongst communities like that was this is not abstract or theoretical that was the 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 first insurance uh institution and institutions were like community-based um often turned like like fraternal organizations you know um unions uh, offered forms of insurance, like trade unions had forms of insurance um, that would help pool the risk uh, and provide mutual aid to people. Um, uh, you know, if something were to befall them, right? Like, really, like uh, again, the, these kinds of institutions um, that we think of as like core to a leftist project around solidarity, mutual aid, um, unions. Uh, you know, 
these were the like original institutional forms of insurance. Of course, it became uh, increasingly financialized starting, you know, 150 years ago or so, and thus has like really kind of been speeding along that pathway ever since. But that doesn't mean it can't go back or that doesn't mean uh, that maybe the, the point is not to go back to the past and revive some, you know, um, idealized halcyon idea of, of insurance as a fraternal organization. It's to recognize, as always, with historical materialism, the, the contingency of these things, the origins of these things, their manifestations and, cha- and, and evolutions over time, and thus recognizing that they can, should, and must change um, going into the future, and that that is uh, imminently possible um, because it not only has it not always been this way, uh, it was actually uh, really different from this from the beginning not that long ago, you know? Amen to that. This turned into a bit of a uh, an insurance episode, but I think a political theory of insurance, which is something we haven't talked a lot about, and I I, I want to write a lot more about the kind of like like the like the the kind of political theory of insurance, like at once, um, po- like creating this this argument that pe- you know it goes back to something you asked earlier of like like you know what do you what do i wish people would like recognize or what do i or how how do you get people to to kind of you know recognize these things differently i think a big part of that is to like politicize risk like understand that like you know risk uh you know the 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 like the creation and and attribution of risk the organization of risk like these categories um, these institutions are like extremely political choices uh, and they take very political forms. Like risk is the ultimate technocratic idea though, because it seems to be like very scientific, very disconnected from anything political or social, right? Like, but that's absolutely not the case. And so like politicizing risk as a way to then politicize insurance as a way to then uh you know uh, create like the the conditions needed for for changing those institutions like that's that's one of the the kind of projects that i've got in some you know uh, for for my for my work on this and something i want to um start developing and writing even more is those kinds of those those again the the critical arguments around politicizing risk politic- and and the political theory of insurance but then that having to be the, the, the basis for a, a more normative um, institutional uh, exploration of alternative forms for insurance. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really excited to hear that because I think, like like you said, political theory of insurance, something that's very fascinating, right? What does what does it look like if we step out? What what forms, what informs political theory of it within capitalism? And then what, how do we get 
How do we excavate and look at alternative forms? And then what do we want, you know, in, in the system as you laid out? Like, how do we use it to kind of promote social solidarity and cultivate these like wider communities and relations that reinforce the war on like the antisocial behaviors? I think capitalism has encouraged and inculcated in all of us, right? This, this, this is cult of, you know, individual ruggedness and, and of you know health being you know incredibly uh private thing and you know most of the risky acti- activities and behaviors being things that have to be taken up upon themselves by like corporate vehicles and entrepreneurs and in one way or another just like an individual uh who unless like of course you know minus of course like the benefactors behind them that are socializing or subsidizing the costs and the risk right and offloading it to the rest of us yeah, absolutely. 100%. Not not yeah, not not an umbrella for me or for thee, but a a, a world umbrella for all of us, you know. You know, I, I I love it when the episodes go in directions, you never know, and the the tops and the bottoms of them are uh, um like two radically different <laughs> episodes. It's good. It's a the natural flow of conversation, but we start with with one form of cosmic horror and we end with another form of <laughs> cosmic horror. We always end with cosmic horror. <laughs> no, but I think this is maybe one of the more hopeful uh, ends that that yeah. we that we could have, you know. Um, but yeah, so I hope to report back in the in the in the coming time as uh, my project and thinking and all that kind of develops around like. Not only the ruthless criticism of these things, but the um, the 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 I don't know the the ruthless reorganization <laughs> of them uh, as well. I'm when and I'm going to be excited to hear from you about this uh, this dispatch from from insurance. This will be more hopeful antidote and 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 protective against the usual very sad reports and the nightmares they uh, they kick off in me when you tell us about what your research is finding <laughs> yeah absolutely always working towards the um the the one day <laughs> working towards one day working on the hopeful stuff <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, all right well i think that's a good place of any to to leave things i'll reiterate my call um for uh if anybody works um, directly or indirectly uh, on these things or knows anybody who does, uh, always reach out to me. I, I, I would love to talk more um, and, and get, get some of that good insight. So, But with there, yeah, I think that's a good place to end things. Uh, thank you all for subscribing. Your support is appreciated as always. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you next time. Later. Adios.